don't know about you, I am still singing. I am free to dance. It's at this point in the service, my kids are rolling their eyes saying, oh, please. That's a great song because we are free. By God's grace, through the work of His Son, a sinner like me has been set free. A sinner like me has had my sins cleansed. I'm robed in His righteousness. That's reason to rejoice with such incredible good news. We have hope today. We have hope today because Jesus lives, we can live as well. So you'll turn me in your Bibles. We're going to look at a conversation, a resurrection conversation that two had walking to the road, uh, down the road to Emmaus. Maybe as a husband and wife, maybe it was two friends, but they're talking about hope. They're talking about the loss of hope. They're talking about Jesus and what it meant. Really, they see in their life hopes and dreams that were crushed. Hope, amazing little word, but incredible power. Incredible power in the feeling and the reality of hope. Do you know it? Do you know that hope? I tell you, if you have hope, you can do about anything. If, if whatever happens in your life, whatever goes wrong, whatever comes your way, if you have hope, you can overcome. But there's an also, on the flip side of that, an incredible self-destructive power of hopelessness. Once you lose hope, and once hopelessness sets in, I mean, the easiest, the most mundane task in life become difficult. For some of you, you know the loss of hope. You know that hopelessness. You know what it feels like sometimes, how difficult it is just to get out of bed. Hopelessness, how difficult it is sometimes just to breathe. If I don't set this up, I'm going to kick it like a football across the stage. If I had the power of healing, it would stay right there, but anyway. Hope. But hope is only as good in what you are securing your hope in. What are you putting your hope in? What are you trusting? Where are you placing your hope? Because truthfully, your hope is only as secure as that object, right? I mean, let's put it this way. If your hope is in your health, and all of a sudden you get news that it's not good, your hope is shattered. If your hope is in your marriage, and all of a sudden it hits hard times, your hope can be shattered. Or in the economy, or in your job, our hope is only as secure as the object in which we place our hope. And Easter Sunday is the proclamation that we need to put our hope in a risen Savior like Jesus. It's an undying hope. It's a hope that really will set us free. Well, Floridians, we got a front row seat to a tragedy that really showed us the difference between hope and hopelessness. Just at the end of February, the beginning of March, four friends, four athletes, four football players went on a fishing boat together. A few days before the fishing journey, a little trip out with some buddies to catch some fish, a friend suggested that they put a device on the boat that they will be able to locate the boat if the boat got in distress or trouble. They didn't make that purchase. The four of them set out, and in rough seas, uh, their boat was capsized. Corey Smith, Marquise Cooper, William Bleakley, and Nick Schuler 
were all, all of a sudden, treading water in a boiling Atlantic. Their boat had capsized, and they began to lose hope. I mean, unbelievably, Corey and, and uh, uh, Marquise has lost hope. And in just four hours into their journey, just four hours, they decided to unsnap their life vest and to surrender to the sea. No longer having hope to keep them alive. No longer wanting to stay afloat, hanging to the boat. They lost hope. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. How, how, how hopeless must they have been that they're going to unsnap their life vest and just drift into the sea? That's hopelessness. There's also unfounded hope. William Bleakley had misguided hope. He hung on for a while. He stayed close to the boat in the morning light. He saw, thought he saw a light. He thought he saw some place that he could swim to for safety. And he too, with misguided hope, unsnapped his life vest. And he swam toward what he thought was a light of safety, never to be found again. But Nick Schuler, Nick Schuler, with a boat overturned, kept his life vest on and hung to the boat, and some 46 hours later was found alive. You see, Easter is the ultimate celebration of God's hope in the world, and a world that seems capsized and overturned. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we need to cling to Him and Him alone for hope. He's the only way that you and I too will be rescued. Jesus is the only way that we will be found alive and live and live life abundantly. But it's this hope, this hope of Christ, hope of life was going to be shattered in a story we're about ready to read. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick up on a conversation in verse 13. Uh, We're going to read Luke 24, 13 through 49. Again, a conversation between two on the road to Emmaus. We'll see their struggle with hope and what Jesus does to bring hope into their world. But whether you have your Bible, you want to read the words on the screen, or you just listen, let's be mindful. This is God's holy word. God loves us, and He's given us His word. It's, it's without error. And it's never going to lead us astray. This story is true. We can trust it. We can build our life upon it. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, the day of Jesus' resurrection, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember that, seven miles. They're going to walk seven miles in a few minutes. You're going to find out they walked seven miles back. We'll figure out why. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What are these things? Well, they're talking about Jesus' death. We're going to find out in this story that they were close to Jesus. They knew the disciples. As a matter of fact, they knew where the disciples were at this moment. They had heard stories about the women who had gone to the grave. These were folks who were close to Jesus. And now they're on their way talking about what the things that have happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, the resurrected Savior, drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? You haven't heard this? 
I mean, they were amazed that someone would actually even have to ask. As they stood still, they were looking sad. Why? They were losing hope. The one of them named Clopas, the other one we don't have a name for, answered him saying, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Basically saying, where have you been? you got under a rock? How did you miss this? It was so public. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And amen, there was never a greater prophet in word and deed, but he was even more. He was more than a prophet, a priest and a king, God himself. A mighty prophet in word and deed. And how our chief priests, verse 20, and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hope. Underline that. Listen, let it ring in your ears. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus, he said to them, O foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he basically starts in the Old Testament in the beginning of the Pentateuch. And through the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures of things concerning himself. All of a sudden they come alive. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if they were going a little farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening uh, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it like he always does and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. I wonder what it was that opened their eyes. Was it the familiar blessing? Was it the sacramental breaking of the bread? Did they notice the nail-pierced hands as he took the bread and broke it? They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked talked to us on the road, while he opened the Scriptures to us? If you want to know if you are a follower of Christ, if you want to know if you get this story, your heart will burn inside of you when Scripture is opened up. Even when a sinful preacher like myself is preaching and God's word is preached, our hearts burn. We always know Christ is near. He was near and their hearts were on fire. In verse 33, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. How many miles? Very good. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon Then they told them what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, Peace to you. Needless to say, they were startled and frightened and thought they had saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself, the great I am. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Think they could have done better than that? He took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Unbelievable. He takes them on a journey through all of Scripture. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, what an amazing miracle. What an amazing miracle that those two witnessed on the road to Emmaus. They had hoped, but they had hoped that you were something different, Jesus. And they were about ready to be hopeless in despair. And you came and intervened. Father, you opened up their eyes and their hearts to see the truth of Jesus. And you opened up their hearts and their minds and their ears and their eyes to understand Scripture. And God, would you be so kind to do the same for us? Father, I am a sinner, unable to open up Scriptures the way that they should be opened up. But Jesus, through the power of your Spirit, speak. Speak. Let us hear the truth of a Savior who lives. Open up our ears to hear your voice, Jesus. Open up our minds and shine the light of Christ to understand your word. Father, soften our hearts to embrace this message. I'm sure there are many here today that have a calloused heart of unbelief. Father, speak to them in loving ways and empower our feet to walk in the light that Jesus lives. And because of that, we do too. May you receive glory and all the glory. May we receive joy and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see is the surprising hope of the Easter story. I love this story because you get to verse 21 and you have these two on the road and they say this phrase, but we had hoped. We had a hope in Jesus that was different than reality. But we had hope. And now because Jesus had died, Because he was put into a tomb, the story of God no longer made sense to them. God didn't make sense with their current reality. What they thought of Jesus as Redeemer of Israel did not make sense. The Jesus story was nonsense to them. What is this about? We've been waiting for a king. We've been waiting for a redeemer. We've been waiting for one to set us free. We wanted to crown him King of kings and Lord of lords, not crucify him as a criminal. I mean, the story doesn't make sense. The reality of their lives was intersecting with with the reality of Jesus being dead. And they were losing hope. The biblical story no longer made sense to them. 
but we had hoped, and their hopes were being destroyed. Do you know that sadness? I'm telling you, there's incredible sadness when God's story doesn't make sense. I mean, there's incredible sadness when God's story doesn't make sense. How many of you here could say, but we had hoped? What does your but we have hoped look like in your life? But we had hoped that there was no cancer. We had hoped that the pathology report came back different. But we had hoped that we could have children. But we had hoped that this marriage would last. But we had hoped that our son wasn't going to rebel. But we had hoped that we had a secure future. But we had hoped that we were going to live a long life. But we had hope. What is the filling in your blanks? I mean, here's where they are. They're intersecting their life and it doesn't make sense. And we see the surprising hope of Easter. It's amazing. And sadly, we often pick our reality over God's hope. You see, we do live in a capsized world. And all that we hope in, apart from Him, it's going to sink. And we're not going to be able to stay afloat. So what does God do? It's amazing. He says this, the hope that God's story makes sense. What He does with this, He brings him. look at verse 27, and then again in verses 44 and 45, He says, the story does make sense. Let me show you. You are here. Let me show you the big picture. You ever been to an airport you don't know? Maybe you're trying to find baggage claim and all you want to find is a big sign that says you are here. And show me where I got to go from here. Or maybe you're in a mall you haven't been in. You want to know what's there. Where am I? What are your first thing you do? You want to look to see where your little dot is. Where am I? Or maybe a Disney World. So I say, where am I in the picture? Well, this is how beautiful God works. He basically shows them you are here in the story. But let me tell you about the story. The story begins when time began, when I created everything. The story of God makes sense. You are here. And he starts through Scripture. He probably said to him, remember that serpent that was going to be crushed? Remember that serpent that was going to be crushed in Genesis 3? Well, I'm the one who crushed him. Remember Noah's ark that saved them from God's wrath? I am ultimately God's ark. Remember that seed that Abraham was promised to be a blessing to all the nations? I am that seed. Remember that prophet that was promised it was going to be greater than Moses? Jesus is that prophet. Remember that priest that was promised it was going to be greater than Aaron? Jesus is that priest. Remember that king who was going to be mightier than David and who was going to be wiser than Solomon? I am that king. Remember Isaiah and the suffering servant? I am that suffering servant. I was pierced for your transgression. The story makes sense. All of history pointed to me. It's all about me. God's story made sense to them. Redemptive history was fitting together and we see God's grace and we see the power of God's story of hope. It was awesome. They didn't get it. Their eyes were closed and God had to divinely open them up. And all of a sudden their hearts were burning because the story was so much bigger and so much greater than they ever dreamed. And they were a part of it. And the story was intersecting their life. And everything that was promised was fulfilled in Christ. Listen, all the promises that God ever promised make their yes in Jesus. 
will you catch me if I fall, Trent? I mean, you're a big guy. It's just right into your arms, I go. All the promises were yes in Christ. All the blessings are given to us in Christ. The power and hope of God's story making sense. But here, here, here's where it gets personal. If his story makes sense, your story makes sense. Because you're part of the bigger story. Because God's story makes sense, so does ours. And God has a way of having, but we had hoped, wreck on the reality of his story. Many of the things we hold on to are going to be wrecked in the reality of his story, but we had hoped. And they come crashing on a rock named Jesus. But true life and true hope reigns in him. So does true love. When our stories collide with his reality, true hope is born. Because whatever we're holding on to that's not in Christ, whatever we're hoping in, it is going to sink. And it's going to ruin you. And God graciously allows us to say, but we had hoped. And it crashes on the rocks of Christ's reality. And then we live. The surprising hope of God's story. It makes sense. And therefore, our story makes sense. The surprising hope of suffering. It's amazing what he does. He takes him to Scripture and he says, let me tell you what has to happen. Don't you get it? That Passover lamb? Don't you get the suffering servant? Don't you get it to enter my glory? I had to suffer. And I'm going to bring you with me. Suffering is going to make sense. The hope of suffering. Uh, Jesus says that through uh, um, verses 26 and 46. And clearly you can hear Isaiah 53. That he truly suffered. Ready for this? For our transgressions. He was pierced because of our iniquity. All of our junk in life was placed on him. He had to suffer. Because you know what? If he didn't, we will. We will suffer God's wrath. Unbelievably, suffering even makes more sense. The writer of Hebrews says this, that Jesus, the perfect God in flesh, the obedient one, he learned, Jesus learned perfection through suffering. He learned obedience through suffering. For him to be the lamb, spotless lamb of God that the Father could accept for our heinous sins, he had to learn through suffering. Not only that, he had to become a sympathetic high priest. I mean, God became flesh and He walked among us and He had to taste our, the gall of our sin. He had, to, he had to taste our tears. He had to become our sin. Why? So He could sympathize with us. When our story doesn't make sense, when we've lost hope, He knows what it's like when we pray to a God that maybe it feels like heaven is shut up. We know the reality. It's not true. He's opened up heaven. He sympathizes with us. He knows your weakness. He knows mine. And He still loves us. He still loves us. And now He lives to intercede for us. And when we, when we pray to a God that's so mighty and such a strong Creator, we pray to a God who's so tender. Suffering tenderized Him. He weeps at a tomb of a friend He's going to resurrect. He knows our pain. He knows our junk. He became our pain. He became our junk. And through suffering, He entered into glory. And guess what? He took us with Him. Christ as our priest making a sacrifice, and the amazing thing is the sacrifice was himself. Now we have the surprising hope of our suffering. There's a fellowship of suffering with Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. I want to know this power of the resurrection in my own life. I want to have fellowship with Christ in his suffering. There is fellowship in suffering, is there not? 
Let me tell you, cancer is like a fraternity. It's amazing. Once you get it, you realize you, you talk to someone else who has it in a whole different way. They all of a sudden look at you different. They realize you get it. You know. You know the darkness. You know the fear. There's no secret handshake. But there's a fellowship there. I mean, last night as I was prayerfully getting ready for this, I couldn't help get Scott Alexander off my mind. I mean, a former elder here, a dear brother in Christ who suffered so much with cancer, just losing his leg, just amputating his leg. And I called him and he picked up and he had hope in his voice. And he talked about a resurrected Savior named Jesus. And there was a bond that we could share through cancer because why? Suffering brings together a fellowship. And if you're suffering for Jesus, if you're suffering with him, he'll be so sweet and dear to you. There's also the surprising hope that we never have to suffer alone. I mean, our suffering will never be like Jesus' suffering. He suffered alone on that cross. The Father had to turn away from him. Couldn't even look at our sin. And he had to cry out and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he had to bear the weight of our punishment himself without the Father's help. You and I will never have to suffer alone. Never, because Jesus did. And for those of you who suffer, you know the joy of that. You know how good it feels that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. And that Jesus sympathizes, and he is with you. And you may feel you're alone, but the reality of the gospel is you're never alone. Your suffering has a fellowship with him. Your suffering uh, will, will never be alone. And your suffering will never win. It'll never win. It doesn't mean that we're going to always be healed on this side of glory. And it doesn't mean that our bank accounts are going to be restored of what we lost. And it doesn't mean that all of our marriages are going to be mended. But what we know is this, that suffering doesn't win. Why? Because the tomb was empty. It's gone. He lives. Victory is ours. Suffering will not win. Death has been defeated. We also want you to, I want to point out to you that... <laughs> There's this physical resurrection, a bodily resurrection of Jesus is a sign pointing to us in the future. And here's the deal. Why did it matter that he came back and said, touch me? Why was it important that he had to show them physically, I'm not a spirit, I'm not a ghost, I am flesh and bones? Why was that important? What in the world's up with broiled fish? Why is that a big part of the story? Because Jesus wanted to show us the future of the new heavens and new earth with a resurrected body. Your body, Christian, is coming back. Glorified. And a lot thinner, I think. I'm pretty sure. But that's the reality. Listen, he wanted to show us that this matters too. It matters. Some of you have watched dearest loved ones fade away. Some of you have watched what cancer and, and disease can do. And you just cry and weep. There's good news. Jesus' bodily resurrection, your loved one's body in Christ is coming back in the new heavens and new earth. And it's coming back whole. He ate fish to prove it. He said, touch me to prove it. It's amazing. Sometimes we want to talk about the spiritual is all it's important to God. No, the physical and the material is as well. The surprising hope of suffering. And lastly, the surprising hope of the gospel. It's incredible. The hope of repentance and forgiveness of sins. In verses 46 and 47, 
I mean, unbelievable, this good news of the Gospel that God would take Him, His own Son, who knew no sin, who was perfect in every way, and He would take Him and He put Him on a cross and He would make Him to be our sin. He knew no sin. He would actually become our sin. Think of that. What's your sin look like? What junk is there? Jesus became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. Do you understand? He shed His blood of infinite worth because your sin and my sin needed an infinite penalty being paid. It's that ugly. He took us who were far away and by nature children of wrath and He brought us close and He made us children of the living God. And He clothes us and He not only, he not only forgives us, He likes us. And He's no longer mad at us. And can I tell you, he thinks we're beautiful. Because when he looks at us, he sees his son in all his radiated glory. And if that doesn't make your heart burn or heart sing, you don't know Jesus. I tell you, there's no greater hope, an incredible story of hope of the gospel that my sins and your sins can be forgiven. That if we turn from our sins, we can have life. And here's the good news. On the road, they thought that he was the redeemer of Israel. He's more. He is the savior of the world. What's it say? Preach to all nations, to every tongue, every tribe, every neighbor, every co-worker, every relative who just doesn't get it. And here's how you preach. Just live your life loving Him and loving Jesus. Loving them. Now live your life. It's for everyone. It's for the entire world. And here's the incredible news. It's free. God offers us free, gracious hope. Free. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is believe and turn from our sins and have hope. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a greater reality than all of our hopes and dreams. Where we find true joy, true hope, true love, and true life. How is it with you? How is it with you in this capsized world? Does God's story make sense to you? Does your life story make sense? What are you hanging on to? I mean, all of, us, all of us go through times where we feel like we're treading water. All of us feel like there's times where the waves are crashing over us. What are we hanging on to? Is it Jesus? Because anything else will sink. Anything else is misguided. Anything else is snapping off a life vest. And it will lead to despair. Do you know personally, do you know intimately the surprising hope of the Easter story? Jesus is the only way to be rescued. He is the only way. He's the only way out. Have you put your hope and trust and life in Him? Or are you hoping on a star? Or hoping on yourself? But we had hope, they said. But we had hoped. But God delivered so much more. But we had hoped, and God delivers so much more. Listen, He lives, and because He lives, hope lives. He lives, and because He lives, we live too. He lives, and because He lives, those who are not sitting next to us, that even within this year have gone to be with Jesus, because He lives, they live too. And hope lives. Because He lives... God's story makes sense. 
Because he lives, your story can make sense too. Let us pray. Father, it's true. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, we have a reality that we have. We have the greatest life preserver. We have the greatest hope, a living hope. Because he lives. Father, I pray that if there's any here this morning that don't know that hope, that today they will embrace Christ as Savior. Thank you for the gospel of hope, for the forgiveness of sins like sinners like me. That we could truly live in Christ. Thank you that now our suffering makes sense in Christ. At least there's hope because there is hope in His suffering. Thank You, Jesus, that our stories can now make sense because Your story, God, makes sense. There will be times it's confusing and times it is hard. But thank You for the living hope that comes from a living Savior, Your Son, Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.